Liam Sexton. Right, well, here we go. This is uh, episode two of uh, Talking Touring with uh, me, Craig Leach, and uh, Liam Sexton. Um, this week, we've got uh, Roger Davis on the show. Um, for those of you that don't know Rog, he is a bass player, um, all round like studio wizard. Um, he is a lovely chap. He's just a great laugh to be around, a really positive person. And he's got a very, very sensible head on his shoulders. So there will be bits in this podcast, no doubt. They're actually probably quite useful for people out there that, that are touring. I mean, like, between the three of us, we, we're going to be talking about little life hacks and tour hacks. Um, be talking about where we think things may go with Brexit or where things, like, what, what the actual world of touring is going to look like when we can go back to normal. Um, yeah, so we, we do cover a lot of interesting topics. So, uh, yeah, do let us know how you feel about it. Um, let's uh, open up the conversation. And as always, you can, uh, if you have any questions or anything or, or you're interested or want to know more about anything we talk about, do feel free to uh, email us or text us or, or whatever. Or just fucking... I don't know. Just abuse us, and we can uh, we can we can certainly talk about it. At another point, there's there's a lot of unanswered questions about what's happening in the touring world at the moment. Um, and my goal from uh, doing talking touring is to hopefully get the lowdown on where everybody else seems to think we're at with it. Um, and each time I talk to somebody else, um, it seems slightly less bleak. It's it's an industry that's tough, but it's built with resilient people. Um, so I do think we'll all be going back to normal before before we know it. Um, and then with that in mind, um, yeah. Also, thanks again to Tom McCarthy for the fantastic intro. Um, this uh, this intro will be uh, being worked on, and we're like I'm going to chuck some uh, some gang vocals on it. So if anyone wants to do some gang vocals, uh, do do reach out. And we'll have some fun with it. Um, right, let's uh, let's get to it. Uh, this is episode two with Roger Davis. Sicko, Roger Dodger. I should smoke. I to start smoking on Sunday. Welcome to Talking Touring. Hi. Welcome to Talking Touring. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, different hats, little hat section. <laughs> Tell us about your many hats, please, Roger. Oh, well, I've got this one. I've got the Dutch fisherman's hat. I think you look good in a pork pie hat. Just a pork pie hat. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right, so, Roger, you're like the man, the master of it all, really, aren't you? You kind of, you've always been there for all, well, like both of me and uh, me and Liam, actually. You've helped us learn bits and bobs since, uh, well, since the day I met you when you didn't like me. <laughs> but yeah. I used to fucking spin that around, didn't I? <laughs> How the tables turn table. <laughs> I've worked hard at not liking you, and I've, I've that's one thing I've actually managed to stick to. 
but in fairness, you fucked it right up. You're my best mate. What are you talking about? <laughs> Lovely. Um, Zoom, does, it kind of cuts each other out, doesn't it, when we're talking? A little bit sometimes, but it's not too bad. I think it'll be fine in the file. Right, sweet, sweet, sweet. Right, so yeah, Roger, like, uh, obviously I met you at ACM, and I think you may have taught Liam a little bit. No. <laughs> that's why That's why Liam's still working. <laughs> yeah. not he taught me everything I know, but did he teach me everything he knows? <laughs> is the real question. Um, so that was back at ACM where me and Liam both started, which we, we spoke about briefly before how we kind of were there, but kind of crossing paths. But where we, the, the three, the all three of us came together was obviously with Tozen, weren't it? It was. We got yes. you involved first. You came and did some of the first ever shows, didn't you? Yeah. Well, no, well, the first ever shows with the, 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 the lineup that was with you in it. Um, yeah. Because it used to be there was the original lineup, and then it was the second or third lineup. I think that I came. Yeah, in second, on. second lineup, I think. Yeah, yeah, and we did that. We did that. It was a fairly lengthy tour, actually, wasn't it? We just the six of us and whoever would help out in between. Yeah, well, we had Nigel at the time doing a lot of the backline stuff. That's right. We? Yeah, and anybody that could help, yeah. and people that would do fake competitions just so we could get them to. <laughs> Yeah, you're ready for the day. Yeah, we're great. Yeah, just like yeah, just move all these cases. <laughs> yeah, put all those things over there. Yeah, that's your job. And then it's the though. I'll never forget that. They loved it. Things started to progress a little bit. Then we needed um extra help, a bit more professional help, was it? And um it was Ed. The- I didn't get that for many years. No. <laughs> no. Always hopeful. And then Ed, the guitarist, uh, obviously the Leicester connection, knew Liam. Um, and he got him on board. And that was Knowing. a new festival when uh, we we were main supporters. Sponge, Squidge, Snuff, Squeezy Sponges. Um, Jules Holland's band. What are they called? <coughs> What a group of musicians. We we've got our sh- <laughs> everything there is to know about music and brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> we don't know it, it's not worth knowing, basically. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah we, we did a show in at the Lou Festival with Squeeze. That's, That's it, Squeeze. It. That was it. That was that was pretty chaotic. And poor Liam was just in at the deep end, didn't know how yeah. you'd not done pre-production or anything, had you? You didn't No, just jumped in a van basically, and drove to Cornwall. <laughs> I remember rightly, Liam, you were very well-dressed as well. I'm always well-dressed. I mean, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> I look fantastic at all times of my I life. mean, the real reason that we got you involved though, was just to to get the average age of the band down. I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too advanced now. We need, we need some... That's a really good show, didn't it? It's... um. It was a great show. It was, it was one, fucking yeah. windy, though. Really, really windy. I remember that was that was it's a big old stage, and uh, I remember just halfway through it, just losing everything. <laughs> and like that was quite quite early in my career as doing Fronty House, front, Fronty House, Fronty front House. house. <laughs> and uh, I remember turning to the system tech and being like, uh, "Where's the kick drum gone?" And he basically just went, "Wait a second. And then it was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Red." It wasn't, I mean, if I remember rightly, it was a pretty brave setup for a festival. It was literally 
on the fucking beach on the sand yeah. next to the water. Like they had some pretty good high hopes for yeah. the weather to be like oh, absolutely fine. That's a bit blinding cool. day though. It's, it's like, I, I thought it was a good setup. It was, it was all, I remember it was quiet though, because it was, it was capped at about 85 dB or something, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, we were in the village essentially of Lou, weren't we? We were. In fact, me and Liam were talking about it earlier. Do you remember what happened after that show? Uh, well, we went to the, um, we had a guest house right by the harbour. Yep. We did, we yes. Had, but we were staying in a hotel, weren't we? And it turned out I'd been sitting with a group of people talking to him for about an hour and I realised I knew one of them. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, Alan Kelly out of Shy. Yeah. Because oh, he yeah. knew you from your, your days in martial law. Right, yeah. He? It's like, Alan, blind, you know, just, you know, we both changed so much over the years. And then, Kind of, you know, the ice broke a bit more, and everybody got a bit more friendly because of it. Um, and they started bringing out um, corny pastas, didn't they? Everybody had corny <laughs> pastas on their on their sort of pub table. I had a few beers and stuff, and I think we'd had a skinful after the show. Oh yeah, as a yeah. dressing room. Um, and yeah, back at the guest house, and then um, Matt, the drummer. He's <laughs> many, his many drunken moments that he yeah, inevitably had. Um, got the hunger, and it his, his corners pasties, and then just started on like anybody that not finished theirs, and then just like started eating random strangers' pasta. Just going around the tables, just being like, "You mean that? <laughs> Are you done? <laughs> Shall we take care of that for you?" <laughs> but that was that was like I guess the start of four. Three, three or four years of all of us spending quite a lot of time together, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, about three or four years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we yeah, did. That was it. I think I remember going from that Blue Festival onto, I can't remember where we went next, but I remember being on the road for quite a long time for that one for just UK stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we did, I think we did Bristol next with the Fleece. Did we? Yeah, it was the Fleece next. And it was, do you remember? Because the support band, the support band um, guitarist was restringing his guitar in the middle of the venue during sound check and didn't have a tuner. And just, it was like, we were in the middle of a song and he just went, hang on, hang on, hang on. One second. Can you, can someone play me an E, please? I'll never forget that. song. It's full, full, full pelt, full sound check. Whoa, 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 lads, 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 lads. <laughs> what, what, what's up? What's up? Can you play me an E? <laughs> He's a good lad, though. I, I remember him. He was good fun. He was good value. Yeah, he was good value. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Time. Oh my god, I've completely then, forgotten about that tour now. And that tour, then we went and did the stuff with Deep Purple. Um, yeah. Or was that a bit later? Quite a lot on? later on. That was. Um, it was only about three years ago. That was. Um, we went on yeah. to, uh, no, it wasn't. That was long. Time reef. Ago. We did the Reef tour. That's right. Yeah. And then we went on to status quo, or it was the other way around. Yeah, that sounds about. Yeah, right. That was status quo was was one of those moments for me as a touring engineer that got to work with a guy called Andy May, who I've I had been reading about since I was destroying venues back in the day, pretending I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and reading him being like, yeah, you just got to do this. And then suddenly I was at front of the house with him and he just showed me like EQs and stuff on this ginormous like desk. And I was just like, 
Yeah, this is this is a turning point. I still I still actually everything he taught me that day I still do religiously. Is that he, he introduced us to the uh, K shoe as well, didn't he? It's the first time I'd seen K. Uh, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, he had a Kelly shoe. Yeah. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Shoe in there with a fifty two on it or something. I can't remember what was on it. Yeah. We, well, we bought the one with the ninety. We we. Well, I think we ended up owning both by the end of it, the 91 and the 52. But um, at first, we just had a 52 in there, but it was still great. Amazing that stuff that you pick up. It just... oh, it's mad. And it, it it just seemed, it's like, that was, I mean, maybe over 10 dates, like an hour's worth of conversation, it changed the way I do my job completely. Oh, you do. It is amazing. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I I taught him just as much as he taught me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, because that's just what I do. So um, one of my favourite little things like that that I picked up over the years of touring was I was in Australia, and the production manager for Laneway Festival that we were on, I think his name's Hayden, something like that, hmm. was um, talking to me about how he think he was touring with Outcast, I think, as a stage manager. And there were some big problems because the weather had been really bad. The stage was really slick with water. Um, and there were some problems with getting stuff onto the stage. And then the artists were like, don't really want to perform on a wet stage. We need to do something about this. And uh, he got loads of bottles of Coke, squeezed it off the stage, poured Coke all over the stage, squeezed it off until it was just the sugar. So the stage was then completely sticky. Oh. Oh. That's amazing, isn't it? And that's like, as soon as you told me that, I was like, that is the best thing I think it's I've brilliant. ever heard. And I've used it like 15, 20 times since, and it works perfectly. It's great. That would work really well in those those small little punk clubs. It's amazing. I use it for like bands all the time. That. It's great. Export stages as well, which are slippy anyway. I bet it's really good on them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so good. And it works so quickly. It's amazing. That can be. Can we steal that as a talking touring tip of the day? That is a talking touring tip of the day. Little tip, just um, the tips. Use Coke Zero for the first couple of shows. This fucking this is rubbish. This doesn't work. (laughs) Oh, brilliant, Um, Rog. What's what's something you've learned on the road um, that's always stuck with you? Oh gosh, I tell you what. Joking aside, is um, nothing to do with equipment or anything like that. It's the uh, it's the rolling up the t-shirt with the boxer shorts and the sock into a roll. Yes. Day, your day bag. I still live by that. Me man. too. The amount of people want to open my case, so they just go, "Well, you've got OCD. Look how neat your case is." I'm like, "Ah, look, watch this. Just grab." Yeah. grab it. Like, oh, that's today. First in the show. It's fantastic. My so wait, just to explain that to anyone that doesn't know it, you get a t-shirt, you fold it in half, you put two socks on the top and the bottom, and then you roll it, and then pull the socks over the rolled t-shirt. That's probably the worst explanation ever. That's terrible. I, I know what you're talking about, and that helped me in, in no way. But so that you, your t-shirt rolls up with your boxer shorts inside it, and the socks hold it all together into a perfect sort of cigar shape. And you can put them all into yeah. your case because it's all very uniform. You can fit them all in there, but just when you want to grab something quick, you can just get a day's clothes out with just one one grab. Yeah. It's very cool. I love that. I love, yeah, that, that I, I think... I don't know who I think. Did you see that, or was that somebody else that brought that into the, into the to us? I saw it. because I know I remember seeing it on on Facebook or something. Maybe it was you that I saw it. I can't remember. 
Probably, yeah, it's probably me changing your life. Yeah, well, it has. Or the likely. Better. I even act like it all the time now. Even my kids do when we go on holiday. It's just perfect. I love that. I do it with dirty laundry because dirty laundry is the biggest ball egg when you're on tour. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I hate that. But it's the most annoying thing, trying to find a place to keep your dirty laundry bag, yeah. which is fine when it's empty, just put it in your suitcase. And then as yeah. it gets more and four full, it's like, where the fuck am I going to keep this stinking sack of shit? Yeah. I fucking love it. Love it. Yeah, so uh, I was... I had an, oh, no, Liam, you had a question that you had written down. I've got a few written down, but I figure we'll just we'll get to them as as the conversation oh. moves along. They're not very specific questions; they're just little oh. little points and reminders. Time in whenever you're, you're ready. What well, I'm like ready. talking about is the amount of nudity that we have all done as the three of us on tours. Oh God, yeah, it has been. Uh, <laughs> that's that's generally towards the end of the night when it gets um, it gets I don't know, fairly fairly drunken and tired and feeling a bit silly and uh, but that's. Time yeah. where it ends up being just the three of us. Yeah. I'm yeah. having nothing to do with this. <laughs> on. I don't want to see that. <laughs> I'll never forget the time in uh, Jerez, or however you pronounce it. And we had a great time. We were, we were hanging out with Bonnie Tyler afterwards. The weirdest festival I'd have ever. Really odd. And there was yeah, about just seven people and... watching the band. Yeah, just us and Bonnie Tyler. That's yeah. it. And, uh, yeah, we ended up drinking at the back of the hotel, didn't we? And uh, Roger, you tried to run into the pond. Well, we've been skinny dipping in the pool first, haven't we? Which, which, in the yeah. bar. Maybe yeah. one did one part of it was like, I'm off. A couple of people hung around for a bit and felt awkward. Didn't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then we 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 skinny skinny dipped, skinny dapped, skinny dapped. Uh, skinny dipped, yeah, skinny dipped. Skinny dapped. Decided um, that the, the the lovely luxurious. Spanish pool at the lovely hotel we had wasn't wasn't big enough or good enough for us, and we decided to walk across to the golf course to get into the reservoir because it looked from a distance. You, you say, say we, it was you, and you say walked. There was we didn't walk. <laughs> I think we tried to run. Yeah, I remember. Th- there's a big old drop into it as well. I remember the walk, walking down to it or attempting to walk sort of sounded like clip clock clip for no reason. And then I'd look forward and you'd fall and the lean would <laughs> everybody stop falling over. <laughs> but getting to the edge of it and looking down and being like, that's really far, and then not stopping there and going, Well, we should probably just lower Rog into it. Yeah. <laughs> down uh, like a bank to the water's edge, wasn't it? Yeah. I yeah. slide down. I just sort of, <laughs> I came to the senses or somebody did and, and was like, if you go in that water, you're not getting out. That's <laughs> <laughs> all. I think that's when we saw sense and decided to, to not do it. But I think I got halfway down the bank. I think there was talk of like someone taking off a hoodie and making it into a rope. Yeah, we we I think we 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 discussed it for a little while before I think all of all three of us were like actually, Dude, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> and then I think we just went back up onto the patio and had a wrestle, and then we went to bed. Yeah, yeah. The- I remember when when we were in the pool though, that just looking up and just seeing um seeing the guitarist from the band just poking his head over, just keeping an eye on us, <laughs> making sure we didn't drown. <laughs> it makes us sound like we were outrageously unprofessional, but. 
He always did it after the job was done. I mean, the show's always got done. Yeah. We should call this talk drinking, not talk touring. Yeah, that's, that's true. true actually. We should probably talk about some touring then. Ever missed a lobby call after that evening? Uh, I missed a lobby call that following morning, didn't we? Both of us, you and you I. Did. Yeah. I didn't. I was down there. Yeah, I you were there. I remember being like, right, everyone, don't forget, don't fuck it up, lobby call. And then James <laughs> is there, just calls me up like, Craig. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always really good. I've got the fear of missing lobby calls. I never want to be that guy. You know, when hundred percent. That's horrible. I've done it. I've had it once. And yeah, it was just the worst. I hate it's it. Whether I'm like, you know, if I'm touring as a tech or as a as a musician, I've always got the same kind of mentality. I've got to be. I've got to be up and ready. And so, back yeah. my bag is as ready as it possibly can be. My clothes. Oh, absolutely. So, so I, just in case, I, you know, it, it's down to the wire. I could throw stuff on and I can be there. You know, but. I remember yeah. doing that that evening. Um, but I was. How was that for you? That transition from like musician to tech, because as as long as I knew until like the last few years, you were always the musician, but you were building techie shit, and you've always been a techie guy. But from going from on that stage to then doing the stuff with James Morrison, for example. How was that transition for you? Was that something you really enjoyed? It was, yeah, because it, it's just, <clears throat> it's not really a lot different, you know. Um, I think from a from a feeling point of view, it, I still get a little buzz, you know, when, you know, when the band goes on and, you you know, you just want to make sure you've got that first song. Once you've got that first song under your belt, you know, everything's working and yeah. it's all cool. You still, you know, you get the butterflies a little bit before the performance starts. Um, so I still, it, it kind of ticks that box, that adrenaline box a little bit. And a lot of the acts that I've I've worked with, I don't sort of uh, feel like I'm missing performing because it's not quite the same music, you know. Like if it's Morrison yeah. or some of the jazz acts, it's I'm not that. It's not it's not my thing, you know. If I'm with Feeder, then that's a bit different because it's it's quite similar. I'm like, oh, I kind of like to play, but I do enjoy it's kind of rocking, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so it's just like being, you know, part of the stage of a you know a band that you love. But it was a natural transition yeah. because I've always been interested in, you know, equipment and fixing stuff and, and wanting it to go well and to be as smooth and as efficient as possible. Because I'm, I'm kind of, that's not like I'm lazy, but I, I, I don't like to do unnecessary work. So it was yeah. always interested in... Well, it's efficiency. I, think, I, do, I do think we can all agree that, like, with touring, if it's inefficient, it's just the fucking worst thing in the world because you do an inefficient task 20 times in a tour and it's just like... Yeah. You need that... This is bollocks. You need to be able to do things the same each day, don't you? So, you know, like having looms built, you know, or measured or yeah. whatever it is, it just makes life life easy. You know, things like, um, like one of the drummers I work for, Neil Wilkinson, just a couple of things I just did for him. It was like, I never would have thought of that. It's just To me, it was quite simple, like having a spare drum key with a little bit of Velcro wrapped around it and a little patch of Velcro yeah. on the top of his bass drum. So he's got yeah. a key there if he needs it um, or, or put in plumber's ptfe tape on the on the thread for the for the throw on his snare so that blackens yeah. during the show or i made little foam feet for his bass for his floor toms because yeah sometimes he gets on a different drum riser and he doesn't like the sound of it he says it's just all it's just really really dead so i put these little foam feet just made out of um, flight case foam like yeah little cups and, and his his legs fit into that and he's, he lifts it off the ground and he's as happy as larry you know or that's a really good idea. A disc of uh, plywood. 
yeah. and Rooster is the is the top or bottom head, and you just put it on the floor underneath the floor tom, and it projects the sound back up when he gets that attack that he misses if he's on a, a really carpeted uh, drum riser. It's just, it's just silly things like that. You just you just pick up, but yeah, I think no, it's absolutely. amazing how how resourceful touring makes you like that. Like I, I remember working for um, as a keys tech for a band for a little while, and we had a problem where I had, I had two Junos up on um, two tier keyboard stand, so two Junos on the top, and then a, a, a Nord eighty eight across the middle. And because it was lying across two stands, it would occasionally move around a little bit and fall off, or it would tip, or the keyboard player would knock it over or something. And it was could be a real problem. And all we did to fix it was I went to like a, a hardware store in Germany got a big piece of um, chipboard and some handles for a, a drawer, nailed them all together, basically, put that on top of the uh, keyboard stand so that the drawer handles held it into place against the uh, arms and then put the keys on top of it and it never moved again. Cost like £15 maybe, yeah. if that, to do the whole thing. And it was like such a stupid idea, but it works. Yeah. How much DIY stuff goes on on tours that look very professional? You know, it's uh... it's insane, isn't it? Yeah, I remember um, like one of one of the acts I work with. We have a, a tap dancer and uh, a revolving tap dancer throughout it, and uh, tap dancers go through pieces of wood like they're butter. So we we've made, I mean, me me and my colleague Sam have made hundreds of tap boards <laughs> because they get lost in airports or they get lost here or there. So I remember getting to um, uh, somewhere, can't remember where it was, but fuck nowhere, and the um, the uh, tap board never arrived. And it was just like, oh, shit, what do we do? So it's like straight down to the nearest place where you can get some wood and then find some more wood and then some rubber and some screws and just go with it. And then Sam, bless him, was just in the... Um, in like the the workshop of a real fancy hotel it was in malaysia and uh he was just there building tap boards on on the day before the show and i was like this is this is mad it's like the uh there's no there's no funny that saved a lot of you know the which one the keyboard trolley trolley oh yeah uh, we used to have a uh, keyboards on on stage and um they're always in the way if you're not being played and it because it was the singer that was Playing the keys, the keyboard had to be at the front, and if uh, if you didn't have someone that could kind of move it out of the way, it was just in in the way of everybody, and it got played for about four songs. It just took up about six feet of valuable stage. Yeah, so we had this idea of putting it onto a trolley, a bit of plywood, and made some sort of some legs that the uh, that the stand would fit into, and a mic stand that fitted into a drum clamp that was screwed to the base of it, and it, and, a, and a big loom. Yep, so it yep. would slide around and, and it would just sort of tuck neatly between the drum riser and a, and a bass cab, wouldn't it? And then you just read yep. it out when it was needed for the songs and it was just it was just ready to go, wasn't it? Just move. The Toesland uh, like stage setup in particular, I think, was particularly efficient. Like we everything was on camp clamps and everything had had a place. And and when uh, when Blackstone Cherry gave us that monitor board yeah. and suddenly it was yeah. just the most efficient thing in the world. Like, I don't think I was working at the time, but when you guys even went off cabs and were just literally plugging straight into the console, it was incredible as well, wasn't it? It was incredible. I think we got it down to like what uh, clearing a stage after a show was like, if we were a support band, for example, it took us less than 10 minutes. Yeah. 
It's mainly the drums that probably took the majority of that 10 minutes, wasn't it? Well, that's all we had, because in the end, we just had the big purple flight case, didn't we, Rog? With the monitors. Yeah, that was it. So a sort of bit back, backlighted each and a monitor board on top of one, and that was it, wasn't it? And then all the pedal boards fitted into it, and the looms. It, it was just two looms that came out, and it was simple. The only problem with being that efficient is it doesn't half make a van load boring. <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> it's a story because, man, we got good at that because we took far too much backline in those splitters. I mean, good reason. Yeah. It's so, insane. Like, how, like, jokes aside, how we didn't get in trouble even once, I cannot believe. Yeah. We were consistently overweight. You have to uh, sometimes. Well, not even sometimes, all the time. Whenever you put anything in a splitter with six people, it's already overweight. It just doesn't... Did I tell you... Can't get away with it. Did I tell you about a time... I've probably told you both this, but um, there was... We we did a job somewhere down in like Cornwall or something, so I had to drive fucking miles for it. Um, And on the way back, we got pulled over by the police for being overweight. We were exactly my way over... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> essentially i got left at this way station i ended up getting a lift by the policeman that picked uh, that pulled us over to um the nearest train station and then just had to get on a train back to london <laughs> fucking hell that was a real moment of my life and i was just like jesus i, I saw that i saw that you <laughs> near a little, little little noise there i haven't lost it well maybe on the if these podcasts continue uh, especially for liam because that was one of your favorite things is um i'll do one of those days where i don't eat anything except for apples oh i love that i absolutely love that my favorite day that we that you did that was when we i think it was sub 89 in reading (laughs) we played a show there and i mean i don't know if there's i don't even know if that place is still open anymore but there was a couple of guys that were working that show from the venue that were very, very slow at their jobs and also quite boring as well. And I remember you went upstairs quite frustrated with the the time it was taking to get things set up. Ate about, what, six apples or something? Came downstairs and just followed them around the room, farted near them whenever they were bent over. It was fantastic. <laughs> the problem is, that, ladies and gentlemen, Roger has terrific flatulence. <laughs> A beautiful thing, absolutely beautiful. Oh. Just these two blokes, like fucking stinks in here. What is that smell? Actually, <laughs> just one thing that was definitely the glue in in the in the Toesland touring crew, wasn't it? Just oh yeah, just when we were doing that deep purple tour, and there was a show that got postponed because of the weather. So we, we were holed yeah. up in a, a house um, for four days. Oh, yeah, and that's when we discovered that we could uh, record farts via WhatsApp and have a great grip. <laughs> and there was always someone that took it a step too far, wasn't oh, there, yeah. Roger? Always one person. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's a, a feature for, for later on. I mean, it's a big. I think so. Without it, you know, I don't know if you if you're not into flatulence or you find it particularly disgusting, you shouldn't be getting into a van or a bus. But most- yeah, don't get in a van or a bus because that's all it is, is farting and, and burping. and Pretty much, yeah. It's just, toilets. I think it's the the silliness of it. It's just something so ridiculous that everyone can get in on. It's fantastic. I mean, for example, we did a tour with Skid Row. First show uh, of that tour. 
uh, Ed is out in the corridor um, showing one of the guys from Skid Row the WhatsApp group and playing the farts for him. And he loved it so much that he joined. <laughs> That's right. I remember not being on that tour and then all of a sudden some other fellas on it and I was just like, what's going on? I'm just getting farts from this guy I've never met. Like... <laughs> about that whatsapp is like it's like i mean this we could talk for you know, a couple of episodes probably just about things that happen in travel lodges oh, you're in you know you're in room 101 and the people next door in 103 and you send a, a whatsapp a particularly good far is waiting for them to receive it that's my favorite thing oh i i like i loved that the way that we were doing it was just so wonderful it was three of us in a room and I'll never forget the night where um, the face came out where I basically was tortured for oh, God, an yeah. evening because Roger, I, I think, I think I was feeling delicate for whatever reason and probably had been an annoying bell. I can remember some other what point. it was. I can tell you remember what it was. We were on tour with Toesland and in the middle of that tour, we had a day off from Toesland and we had to go to London and do a show with Sam. That's right, because we had to do Jules show, Holland and the Village Underground on the same day. Yeah, so we had to go to London and do that and then come back to join the rest of the tour for Toesland. So we'd yeah. done that the night before and you and me had no sleep. Yeah, because we fucked up the train back, didn't we? We did. Yeah. We were really grumpy and we were like, ah, well, that's, that's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> but these these two tossers just kept me up all night. Well, not these two, so Ed and Roger just... Um, kept on basically screaming in my face. And I, I got to the point where I was just like, look, guys, jokes aside, can't do this anymore. I'm going to go insane. <laughs> and, then I find, and then Roger pushes my bed over and the other double bed in there and the other single bed. So I'm just on the floor covered in three beds whilst the lights are flickering and being... <laughs> And yeah, it was that was a great day. Getting into bed with you, whatever bed you get. Well, I'm going to get in that bed then. Boom, in a mood. So I just as soon as you get in, I jump in next to you, boo you, and I think I even got proper naked as well. <laughs> so I was, you're like, I can't deal with this anymore. <laughs> that was the problem. I showed weakness. I'm very good at winding people. Up. I genuinely think I've learned how to wind people up because of you. <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely. You we were talking so, about this the other day, yeah. the the beauty of just following someone very closely, <laughs> <laughs> just being far too close to someone and behind them is like it's so tiny, but it drives people crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's like walking across people when you're trying to walk in. A... I love doing that. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally, one. it's so frustrating to be at the receiving end of it, but to do it to someone, <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, my favorite i do I, I do to my kids now and they're like dad this is so annoying brilliant absolutely spot on um <laughs> well i don't know how long we've been going uh liam you probably got a better idea haven't you i have absolutely no idea oh, okay. i'd say like half an hour 35 minutes i think we've done so far all right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it out there because just just so we don't end up doing like an hour long show that fuck all people give a shit about, I'm gonna ask a couple of little like quick answer questions for you, Roger, if that's all right. Um, top top five venues in the world. Oh my world! Ah, uh, Brixton Academy. Ah, nice. uh, good choice. Ooh. 
That's tough. It's fucking horrible, isn't it? Really hard. I find that I forgot about a lot. Like, Milkveg's got to be in there yeah. for me, personally. That's a, that's a cool venue. I yeah. like I really like Shepherd's Bush Empire. I know it's a ball lake to, to play it, you know, with parking and busing and all that, but it sounds good in there when it's full. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh, definitely not Glastonbury. No. Oh, God. Hell no. I think, I think we can do an entire episode <laughs> on what it's like to, I was gonna to say. be a crew member at Glastonbury because it's a fucking nightmare. Let's save that. Let's put that on the, on the back burner. Oh, yeah. We'll save it for the summer. Yes. Yeah. We'll do a festival edition, trashing all the festivals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that shit, that shit, that shit. No, um, like venues, I mean, some of them are absolutely horrendous, but you just end up with incredible crowds. So it's... Uh, yeah. Look at yeah. it, whether you're there as a tech, you know, obviously the, the good venues are the ones that are like nice loadings, like, I don't know, Symphony Hall in Birmingham. It's just beautiful. Black yeah. Bush and everything's brilliant. Um, or whether it's something like, I don't know, Sugar Mill in Stoke. Oh, the Sugar Mill's always a good crack, actually. They love a sticky stage in that it's place. Yeah. You know, it's it's such fun. All that, uh, the Slade Rooms in Wolverhampton, for example, you know, for, for Love that venue. But then, yep. you know, the Civic, Wolverhampton Civic's fabulous, isn't it? I mean, it sounds so good. What's the other one in Wolverhampton? Is it Robin Hood? Yeah, the Robin. Yeah, the Robin 2. Yeah. I quite like that one as well in Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton's a great city for music, I swear. I did hear, actually, that the Civic, obviously, has been closed for some time, has now had a buyer. Oh, really? I don't oh, know really? who. Yeah, that it's going to be reopened in some capacity. That's amazing. They'd be posh, wouldn't they? Probably. I mean, it's a beautiful room anyway. I mean, it's got amazing potential. It's also one of the, my favourite bands, you know, just growing up there. That's, you know, kind of what yeah. is messy. That was going to be my, my quick fire question. What's your favourite band you've ever seen live? Oh, man. Actually, that's <laughs> <laughs> um, or like maybe not your favourite, but the one that sticks out to you is the most memorable. Like, um, It's completely off, but... Um, been at, at Wolverhampton Civic actually is Jimmy Require on their first tour yeah actually, that was just that was such a great show really really enjoyed that do you remember when um, the band used to come into ACM and just do it instrumental there we go ladies and gentlemen and we're off <laughs> imagine that for three years straight <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I got right off the subject there didn't I um, that was, yeah. that was a killer show. Um, gosh, um, it's like picking your favourite child. Which one is your favourite <laughs> child? <laughs> uh, all right. Well, if you can't answer that, then we'll take Jamiroquai. I like that. Um, I mean, it's a good. Well, that's a good one. I think. I think it's I great. Up and coming, and you could really feel the buzz. And I think they were particularly good that night. It was absolutely packed, you know. There's no no seats. It was all standing. It's just a really, really good vibe, great sound. Just yeah, just a really good, really, really good night. Yeah. Magic. I I was I always think about this one as well. It's like, how many times have you been at a festival when you're like middle of the bill and the headliner takes up all the stage and it's like it's a shit show, and then you go out and watch a little bit of that that band. And you just think that's fucking shit. Often, you ever had that? Yeah. A lot of the time, yeah. I fucking hate that. 
Dream Theater. I remember doing that for Dream Theater and being like, that sounds like a CD and they're clearly not playing it. I've seen like, I've seen like Cold Sugar shit. and bands like that in that um, genre, let's say, yeah. that have done very similarly, had like a lot of gear on the stage and stuff. And it's made it quite difficult. And then I've gone to watch it and been like, this is, you are fantastic musicians. This is incredibly talented. But it's fucking boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, boring. Yeah, your, your riffs are great, but I'd like to see you do more than pull a moody face while you play your nine-string guitar. Yeah. Right. So, Liam, um, for you, question for you, TM uh, or tech? Ooh, that's a difficult question because I think they both have their own merits. To be honest. On one hand, I like to be the big dog. I like to be the tour manager in charge of everything. I like. You like that. to be the guy carrying the van keys and. and yeah, yeah. I like being the guy in charge of lanyards. <laughs> yeah, I like having all all the power. That's uh, yeah. It's quite nice. I don't like being a tour manager on a support tour because I don't get all the power. I don't get everything that I ask for, which is yeah. really annoying. <laughs> but I enjoy, I think I have a better time socially on tour as a tech. I think. Yeah. Well, it. Because although there is like a lot of responsibility as a tech anyway, but you can cut loose a bit more, I think. Mm. Yeah, well, you're like I agree, isn't it? Once you, you know, the truck's loaded, you, you're sorted, aren't you? As you know, TM's got other responsibilities. and Exactly, exactly. I think it's it's difficult to uh, to be the tour manager if you if your band and crew have seen you do a full bottle of Jack and jump into a pool naked. <laughs> It's hard to respect that man afterwards, I think, isn't it? I think you get extra respect for that person. <laughs> so it swings around about us. I'd say I think my heart leans towards tour manager, I think, a bit more, I reckon. But they've both got their merit. So what about you, Craig? Would you be happy, because obviously you TM and do front of house a lot, mm. had to only do one? Um, well, for years and years, I always would have said front of house, but I... Every time I just do a front of house gig now, I miss the TM stuff. I don't, without it, without every front of house engineer getting pissed off at me, I do think that doing front of house on a tour is quite a boring thing to do because it's all over very quickly. Um, whereas I like the fact that like, I'm quite, I like to be busy. Um, so TMing and front of house suits me perfectly. Because if I was just TM, all I want to do is mix. And then if I'm if I'm just mixing, all I want to do is help park the bus or yeah. fight someone over some crisps. <laughs> Basically, what you're saying there is, Craig, that happiness eludes you at every turn. That's what I'm after, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, to, to honestly answer you, just TM. I would, I would TM. So what you into wanting to do this bizarre job this bizarre existence because well Liam you started off having a bit of a sing didn't you Actually, yeah I guess so a bit of a sing yeah I did like I played drums for a long time like for seven or eight years and then I taught myself a bit of guitar and then I was in hardcore bands for a little while um I kind of like I'd always wanted to be a musician I used to scream and climb things I used to, yeah, I used to scream and climb things, actually. That's the better way of putting it. <laughs> I get hit with guitars quite a lot. And I remember coming out of a show once in Nottingham. It was like the horn and hand or something. The guitarist had hit me with his headstock from, like, the top of my nipple or something down to, like, my waist. 
like he just caught me with it and I came out of the show and it was just like all red down one side where he'd like just cut me with his <laughs> yeah it was fucking horrible yeah uh, but I'd always wanted to be a musician and then the older I got the less likely that was happening because it was just you know how it goes you're in a band that works for a little while then it doesn't then you go and do something else then your music tastes change and you want to do something different you pick up different instruments so on and so forth um and then I realized that I could still be on tour and enjoy that kind of a lifestyle but not be a musician and get paid for it so it kind of that's the key bit for me it was just like being in a band don't get paid (laughs) working for bands get paid yeah for for me it was inevitable I was going to get into it I I assume you know my dad was a musician and stuff but being into um organized stuff and having a you know, the right equipment and I was just always kind of fascinated with it you know my old man had always come back from a gig and the, he'd have a problem with one of his amps and I'd be like what are you going to do dad and he said well let's have a look and he'd, he'd kind of open it he didn't know what he was doing but he'd always just open it and have a look for obvious things yeah. like a wire had come off somewhere that's very much you yeah let's have a look and I kind of I learned that and he always says oh, I don't remember that so he always says to me I don't know you know how to do all this stuff I'm like well I kind of got, got it from you you know um, yeah I was obviously playing guitars and I got into building guitars. I built a couple of guitars when I was young and just got interested in messing about with them and and that kind of thing. And then um, I remember, I think I've been to play squash or something or something at, at my local school, at the school I used to go to. And I was walking past the main hall one day and there was a band sitting up they were going to play in the evening. Um, and I just ended up just kind of hanging around being that annoying kid for a little while. The guitarist kind of... of took me under his wing a little bit and he showed me how to use a tuner tuners had just come out uh you know electric tuners and i was just amazed by it you know and he said you can tune my guitar before you go before i go on if you like i was like yeah i just hung about with these these (laughs) who they are or even if they were any good you know i just kind of got me interested in it and then it it got into like my first bands and it just all started getting really competitive with you know, that local band thing like oh have you heard about such and such a band they've got they've all got a new equipment and i wanted to be better i wanted to get better equipment and it just kind of got like that you know and so got yeah. pedal board. i was like oh, i'll build a bigger one and i, I just <laughs> kind of got into it like that you know because it, it in, in those days it was like your equipment was sort of status oh they're a good band there their like, equipment's really good you know it was, it, it was <laughs> shit inside, you know <laughs> but it's so true I remember seeing bands like that when I was younger like playing in local bars and things and they bring like full you know full stacks to a gig that's in the back room of a pub that's going to no, have like 10 kidding. people here and it's like oh he's a really good musician look at all the gear he's got <laughs> there was a pub in, uh, in the in the black country where I'm from um, in, in Bilston fully enough just quite close to where the Robin is um, and I had like a back room there. I used to do a rock disco. And it was really good. We spent all our time there and they started putting gigs on. And there was a local band that just appeared and they were just hilarious. I'm not going to say a name in case, you know, but um, they, I think they kind of fancied themselves as, as like Motley Crue or, or I mean, they were very. <laughs> oh, what? All dressed up and everything. Very theatrical, a lot of makeup, had a lot of hair yeah. and, and what have you. And, Obviously, one of them in the band was particularly inventive and quite resourceful. And because um, everyone was doing DIY stuff then, building, you know, boxes to stand on or homemade flight cases or whatever it was, you know, drum risers. So they, they got a load of scaffolding and they, they'd actually uh, erected a, 
constructed a, a, a full set and it resembled a little bit like the Iron Maiden set. You know, like everything's kind of inside. Yeah, You've yeah. got like the walkways at the top. Yeah. Those were like, like ramps that kind of went from stage left stage right and they kind of went up and they'd sort of meet in the middle so it's like a kind of a triangle and the drums would sort of sit underneath the triangle no <laughs> set all this up in this back room of this pub and what they hadn't worked out what they hadn't even thought of the fact that the ceiling was only about eight feet off the ceiling you know, from, the, from the stage to the ceiling so there's little tiny little park hands and stuff on the ceiling and they get to their point in the song where the, the guitarist and the bass player were supposed to sort of walk up the ramps to get, you know, stand up with the drummer. And they had to squat. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost like, like squatting like they're having a shit, trying to put the, <laughs> the guitars on their knees. <laughs> Standing there with their heads against the ceiling just so they could use their, use their set. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that commitment to it, though. It's just like, we, will, we built it. We will fucking use it. That's fucking brilliant. I love that. Oh, that was like me, though. I was always, you know, like, you know, getting two SVTs. I was like, damn, every show there's going to be two SVTs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Those fucking SVTs, man. <laughs> Get them in every show, even with supports, and it's, no one ever seemed to really mind, you know, even though yeah. we're moving them about. Um, everyone went, no, no, we've got to get them on, Rog. They look cool. <laughs> brilliant. I just remember those SVTs and being like, oh, can we turn the bass down a bit? And it'd just be like, there's no fucking point. I'd just give you used up. To, <laughs> you used to just go and pr pretend to un unplug one of them. Yeah. And then you'd just <laughs> be like, it. oh, how does it sound out there, bassy? <laughs> <laughs> so, Rog, this is another quick one for you. What is your can't live without tool in your touring case? What, what is the one thing that you have in your case that is... If it's not there, you'd be fucked. Gum. Gum. Yes. Great answer. That is a good answer. I actually can't go through life without gum anymore. No. no. I, I do get a bit weirdly anxious if I don't have gum on me. The thing is as well, everyone always likes the guy that's got gum. It's very true. It stays right, top drawer, everyone goes, oh, just, where are you off to? Just going to get a bit of gum. Right, yeah, people. I love that. Mine used to be cigarettes, and then, uh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely gum now. I think my electric string winder, I think that's probably... That's a good one, yeah. I like those. That's, that's really useful because it just speeds things up. I have a lot of strings to change each day. Crazy. Uh, that's, I, don't know, I could live without that, but that makes definitely makes life easy. Mm. Um, What's yours, Liam? I was just thinking this actually when I asked the question, I realised I didn't. I don't know what mine would be either. To be honest, uh, I'd say it's pro like probably my printer. That's yeah, really yeah. boring, but like I'd be fucked if I didn't have my printer because yeah. there's always so much stuff. I mean, I go through what with the last band two, four, six, what twenty something set lists a day. Yeah, for stage crew and security. Yeah. 20 of those every day and then there's always contracts that need to be done and then there's other stuff that needs printing out and then there's always something you know with with someone in the band or someone on the tour that's happening back home like buying a house or whatever and they've got to sign some paperwork while they're away yeah where it has to be done in ink that sort of thing yeah i haven't got i don't think i keep anything particularly exciting in well, you binned off all your tools really didn't you like all your, did, like, your techie tools i gave them away yeah to um mm. To another 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 tech that was coming in to do the band that I was just with. Um, I, I used to carry incense all the time. That was I nice. Keep, it's a good show. 
I used to have some Nag Champa that I'd always have in the um, in my pelly for the bit for the office, especially when you're like doing a smaller toilet tour. I say toilet tour, like a a club tour or something, where the rooms are always a little bit stinky from the night. All a little bit pissy, yeah. Yeah, so you just burn that for a little bit in the morning. It clears it up a little bit. What about you, Craig? Uh, It's my in-ears. Oh, that was really gurgly. That was horrible. Um, That sounded really odd. My in-ears are the most important thing to me on touring now because... On flights, they're amazing. I I I love mixing shows on in ears, um, especially some of the louder shows. Um, if you're doing a headline festival show and you're or a headline show and you've got a ninety minute set, I don't want to be listening to someone fucking blowing my face off for ninety minutes. So I do tend to mix a lot of my shows on in ears these days, and I love that. Mm. Kind of, you don't come out fatigued. You don't come out. So, I don't use I mean, the tour I'm doing at the moment, so you know, everyone's on ears, um, texting everybody. But yeah. I can't use my my IEMs for that because it, it isolates too much, yeah. Because <clears throat> after you know, because my ears are so big, I have to really shove them in there. And um, if someone needs to talk to me that's not on the on the shout mic, yeah, saying so, I just wear a pair of um, beats. Oh yeah, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. They and they're totally isolated. They're really cool, but I can yank them out really, really quick. And the sounds, yeah, yeah. like <clears throat> they're going to fall out because I'm sweating, like like I do when I'm performing. Because you know what I'm like with IMs performing. Mm. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> I found these ones really, really useful. These are just the generic Shaw three one five. I've I had some two one fives for a long time, but they die quite quickly. I've changed to three one fives, and even like just as earplugs, really, really good. I've used them for a long time, but they've been absolutely fine for everything else. Like a really good solid in-ear monitor for what yeah. you pay. Which I was quite surprised at because usually you have to pay like thousands to get a decent yeah. ear. Well, mine are Read Audio, and I fucking swear by Read Audio. I think I genuinely think they're the. Um, not that we're turning this into an advertising <laughs> campaign, but uh, Read Audio <laughs> are fantastic products. Yes, they are. Um, they are, and a fantastic support network. Now I'm. Matt actually dropped me three pairs of uh, Reed Audios to Heathrow Airport once, and I was like, well, "What a guy! You don't get that from anyone else." Unparalleled levels of service. Yeah, so no, no grumbles with him at all. Um, can I ask you a question, Mudge? What do you think is actually going to happen now, Brexit and all that shit for next year? Do you reckon it's going to be as difficult as we all seem to think it is, or are you kind of not thinking about it? I don't know. I mean. It's just fear of the unknown, really, isn't it? You know, I think, yeah. I think the biggest issue is obviously going to be just getting out of the country and, you know, you yeah. know the logistics of it. You know, they're talking about you know, lorry parks and all these special permits that you've got to go to on, you know, the yeah. parking. Have you, um, as as someone that, that works for multiple bands, if if a visa thing was going to happen, do you feel... I personally feel if we have to get visas for every country, I'm going to pay for that out of my pocket so it's not a burden to my clients. Do you? Would you guys agree with that, or do you think that's not the way to go? I, don't, I think it's going to depend on costs. Some people just aren't going to be able to afford that. Um, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, you know, all three of us have been lucky over the last couple of years to have worked, you know, in a lot of places all around the world, haven't we? And you know, we. Yeah. Visas for that, you know, particularly obviously the states and 
um, in Japan and China and stuff. Um, they're quite difficult to come by anyway, aren't they? They, they, yeah, yeah. You know what it's like trying to get a US visa. Um, yeah, if every country. Mine ran out this year. So if every country in Europe decides that you know you've got to get a visa, which they'd be perfectly within their rights to do. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, people used to before we were part of the EU. Yeah, true. That. Yeah, it's got to be a way around. It's not like anyone hasn't thought about this. There will be some solution. Yeah. It will happen again. I, I've heard people saying, "Oh, it'll just it'll just change." You know, people in France will just listen to French bands, and I was like, "That's not, that's never gonna." Yeah, it's not gonna. Yeah, happen. Ain't gonna happen. It's not yeah. gonna happen. There will still be some some way of doing our jobs mm. across Europe, but like you say, it's going to be a difficult thing to. Until there's actually clarification of what these visas entail and how you get them, like I think we were saying in our last um, podcast, um, the process of getting a visa means usually having to have two passports and leaving one with an embassy while you go and travel, so that one gets done and then you've got it for leapfrogging over. It's not going to work if you've got to get one for every single place because how you, you can't do that. You can't have that many passports physically. So there's got to be a system that's coming in. You know, the UK has, unfortunately... We've left the EU. The EU hasn't left the EU, so Germany is no. still friends. So there must be an EU visa. There's got to be. It's the only way it could work, really, with having people like us who have to travel. Yeah, I mean, you, you constantly you've missed Belgium, and you or, you, know, you can have a, a good old nap, and you've gone through four countries, you know, since getting off yeah. out of the tunnel. You know, there's no way that you could stop at every single one and and have paperwork like that checked it, it will there'll be a system that, that will work whether it's digital or i like that that's a far more um positive outlook on it because i'm done with i feel it it's very easy to be doom and gloom about it the, the scariest thing i have heard um that i hope isn't true it it, it kind of it will, it will affect us but um is that i i hear that there may be a sort of um a quota of british vehicles that will be allowed a bit yeah germany for example um you know we're talking like haulage because you know, mm. you've got to be allowed to go in. Uh, and a tour gets planned and some someone says like you know the, the quote is full we can't take any more trucks and someone with a fair production you know say two arctics um are not going to be able to take those trucks across yeah. so the idea is that they'll take them to kent or folkestone or dover where they'll be met by German trucks, for example. Yeah. You load onto the, you cross load onto the. Yeah. The UK haulage companies, I know we use fly by night. Um, they're not going to be doing music anymore because they, it's just not going to be worth their while just to drive to Calais or just to drive, you know, to, to Dover to then be moving the equipment across to German vehicles, for example. Yeah. That's going to affect the, the logistics of. Of haulage. Well, that's interesting. <clears throat> I hadn't even thought about, about that, that either. Yeah, that's a, a fairly scary one, really. I, you know, for all people like fly by night. You know, it's such a great. Yeah. You know, with their facility and stuff, and I think you know the amount of trucks that they use. You know. Well, I fucking I I hope it, that that's not the case. Yeah, I I, yeah. I can't see. I, I, it would be ridiculous to to assume it yeah. can't all be over. I think it's getting yeah. slower and it's going to be a ball ache. And I think getting across the, the tunnel, which has been a breeze for us for, for so many years, we like mm. trying to get into Switzerland, which we all know it can be a joy or an absolute 
It's the thing. It's, it's, it's we've, I think, we've all experienced tough borders, and I, I don't yeah. see it being any worse than getting into Serbia or getting into Switzerland or anything like that. Um, and that, that, that can be really difficult. I think the difficult bit, I think, with doing borders, particularly, I think the difficult bits are with those countries is doing like carnets and things because it's not something that everyone sees all the time. Yeah. A carnet is a carnet, I guess. Once it's done, it should stand in, in every country as long. Exactly. Yeah, but if you give a carnet to a border uh, control person that's just like, what's this? You're like, today's a great day. I've had so many experiences with that. Like I've, I did it in the last time I went to America. The person that I was speaking to at border control was being trained. And so she had like another person with her showing her like what all the paperwork was. And he like opened up and was like, and you need to, oh, he's already done this. And then, uh, and he's already re-signed that one. This is a waste of time. And he just stamped everything and just gave it back to me because he couldn't show her what was being done. Because I've done it so many times. Yeah, you just, you just do it way in advance now and hand it over. But there are so many people that you'd see, and they'd be like, "I have absolutely no idea what to do with this." Yeah. If anyone's listening and and ever does get stuck with a carne, and I do get in touch because it it's until someone tells you and talks you through it, it's um it's pretty fucking daunting. Yeah, it's how very, I feel very about complicated, it. It seems from the outside, but realistically, it's not that bad. Yeah. thing is just whether someone goes oh, okay can i can i see what's in case number one because it says here that in case number one there should be this thing with these dimensions and this serial number and this value you'd be like oh shit did we pack up properly it's got that and then 67 <laughs> t-shirts and a load of <laughs> the last time i was working with our carne we had so much like boutique and older gear and stuff that had been broken and fixed so many times i think about 75 percent of our carne had um i had to mark with nsn no serial number yeah because like, like there was nothing here i was like we had a guitar that was from like the 70s that had been snapped like four times and had like yeah. all different parts in it now you know love that yeah boys i think we should wrap that up because that's about an hour oh wow um but roger thank you so much yes thank you very much roger My absolute pleasure you're such a gentleman to, to speak to it's been it's Likewise. been great and uh, we'll probably, probably, we probably fuck this up. So um, we might have to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'd be a joy, eh? Fucking <laughs> brilliant. The point where you are so right, wooden that I remember the answer to this question. Yeah. <laughs> it was a festival, wasn't it, William? <laughs> well, thank you very much, Roger. Really appreciate it. Lovely to see you, buddy. You too. You too. I hope you're both very well. And yourself. Peace. Thank you for listening to Talking Tory.